What is going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much for letting me be a part of your day. I do appreciate it. And you can also email Pete at the Pete Callender Show dot com. And remember, get the podcast at WBT.com. And then it comes directly to your smartphone or tablet, except apparently if it's Spotify, because Spotify has been having problems. Well, I mean, it started when, yeah, I was like, you can't have my show and be carrying Neil Young at the same time. And so now Neil Young is gone. And I don't know, they're, they're doing something on their end with it. Um, no, I have. I mean, it's an RSS code issue that I'm uh, working through with the Spotify people. Hopefully it'll be done soon but i have no idea they may be salty over the whole neil young thing i don't know i don't know if they got the joke or not anyway uh big news today huge news we have a new cat at the white house i know like weren't you just thinking to yourself like i really can't keep up with all of the different scandals and stories and issues going on at the white house uh, and in the country, and what we really need is another pet at the White House. Yes. Well, this is, it's usually a sign that things are not going well is when they bring in the the new pet, you know? Especially this, this story, look, I gotta tell you, this story seems a bit weird to me. It seems a bit weird, okay? And, all right, so here's the deal, okay? And look, I know I'm not, well, some people say, oh, you're making too much of it. I don't care about the pet. It doesn't matter to me. I, I like. I leave the family. I leave the pets. Everybody's off limits. I don't care unless you're going to like interject yourself into politics. I don't pay any attention to all that stuff going on with the family members and the pets and all that. Now, if if the acquisition of the pet is for a political purpose, as I think this is pretty clear that it is, just because just reading the circumstances of it. Okay, all right, so this is from USA Today, I believe. Let me hang on. Let me double check here. Yes, USA Today. President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden have finally added the long-promised cat to their pet family. So our long national nightmare is over. The cat's name is Willow, and it's a two-year-old green-eyed gray and white farm cat from Pennsylvania. That's a purebred farm cat, as I understand it. That's the breed. (laughs) Willow is settling into the White House with her favorite toys, treats, and plenty of room to smell and explore. Now, I can tell you, by the way, that was according to the First Lady's spokesperson, Michael LaRosa. Now, I can tell you, um, as a previous cat owner, Christy and I, we have owned, uh, well, she brought three cat or she brought two cats to the marriage and then we picked up a um a third we adopted a third basically well he was a stray when when i got the house over on the east side off of eastway drive and i was fixing it up this little kitten showed up and he just started living uh in i had some there was some uh uh lumber and stuff outside of the house it was leaned up against the house as i was working on it and so the cat went under there and he started sleeping under there and there was this little kitten so we gradually gradually like won him over i mean just enough to grab him and then we got him uh we got him fixed and uh, then when we eventually sold the house and moved we brought him with us and he was always an outdoor cat his name was julius and then when we moved again and we got into apartments we we're like hey can we give him to our in-laws out at the farm because he would not do well in a um, 
in an apartment. Like he would, well, I mean, I would probably end up murdering him because he would pee everywhere. And that's the thing about cats is that they, they will let you know when they're not happy. And generally speaking, when you move them around, they, they don't like it. And it takes them a long time to get used to big spaces. And so a place the size of the White House, this cat, it, it's going to be a tough adjustment period for this poor cat. And the reason the poor cat is now at the White House is apparently because it ran on a stage two years ago. This cat ran on a stage. And I got to tell you, I follow politics. I was not aware that this occurred. Okay, this was, yeah, this happened in 2020 when Jill Biden was out at some farm, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, and the cat jumps on the stage, runs across the stage, interrupting her speech, and it becomes this thing, right? Oh, my gosh, it's so adorable. There's a cat on this stage. And so that obviously means you got to adopt the cat two years later. See, that's the thing. Two years later. Why? Why are you waiting? Why did you wait so long to get this cat? It was a kitten. It was young. It's only a two-year-old cat. So why did you wait so long? What? What's the deal with that? This is why I got to believe that it's political. That it, they got bad news. They're trying to buffet themselves from the storms of the bad news. And so what better way to do that than to bring in another pet? Right? They, I think they tried to do it with the German Shepherds, but... I don't know if you're aware of this, and I know I'm going to anger German Shepherd lovers, but German Shepherds can be kind of temperamental like that what, with the biting of the the Secret Service agents and stuff, right? They they get kind of protective, but I mean it's kind of their jam. That's what they're that's what they're supposed to be about. German Shepherds, not to say hashtag not all German Shepherds. I'm not saying all of them, but as a breed, they got their name on the list. For certain reasons, I know I'm stereotyping all German Shepherds, but by and large, like they have this rep, okay? They're, I think they're actually on the list of the dangerous breeds in North Carolina, where like just being on the list means you don't get the free bite. Did you know that? Like you get a free bite? If you're of a certain uh, breed, that's not like if you're just a mutt or something, uh, or you're a certain breed that's not, doesn't have like a dangerous rep, then, uh, you know, if you bite somebody, it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea the dog has never done that. But you get one fewer of those free bites if you have the rep as a breed. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just, I'm just letting you know these are the rules. So the, the president's, uh, German shepherds, they got a little bitey and, uh, then they had to uh, they had to take them out of the uh, out of the White House, and then they got the puppy. Remember, they picked up that German Shepherd puppy named Commander. He got that as a birthday present in December when some other stuff was going wrong for him. So now we got a cat, and I got to tell you, if things get any worse here, I'm thinking what hamster, maybe a bunny rabbit, maybe they go that route, gerbil or something, bunny rabbit probably. Yeah, I mean, if he's got any more crises going on, like, we could have a whole Noah's Ark here before he's up for re-election. It's possible. It was not the cat. It's, I mean, but I know that everybody inside, like, the D.C. bubble, they all wanted to be the cat because, man, there's a bunch of other things. By the way, uh, Biden was on a phone call with the Ukrainian president, and it's my understanding that now we're supposed to uh, get that transcript leaked, right? We're supposed to find out what the terms of the deal were all about. And then maybe impeachment after that. Maybe that's what the cat purchase was for. Why do you wait two years? Anyway, uh, no, the big news is actually, kind of, that Ted Budd is um, going to have to still face Mark Walker 
among other opponents, U.S. Representative. <laughs> yeah, U.S. Representative. This is how the story starts at the News and Observer. U.S. Representative Ted Budd can't get rid of the opponent who might threaten his chance to win North Carolina's U.S. Senate race. That's one way to get to the the announcement. What happened? Former Congressman Mark Walker announced yesterday after, you know, much fanfare and waiting and uh, front promotion, like we were all waiting for this to happen. And then last night it was like six o'clock or so. And then they they put on like uh, musical acts and stuff. And they had like this big bus that was there covered in a tarp. And uh, you could tell that the reporters were getting antsy and, and because they were starting to like send out snarky tweets, uh, you know, because they... They didn't want to be there. They don't want to be there at six or seven o'clock at night, especially for some, you know, Republican. But anyway, so they're out there and they're waiting for this announcement. Is he going to stay in the U.S. Senate race or is he not going to stay in the U.S. Senate race? Uh, what's he going to do? And then he makes the big announcement. He is going to stay in the race. He is going to stay in the race. Quote, the last 45 days have been a whirlwind, he said. When we stepped away from Congress, it's always one of the things that gets me is when these politicians, people running for office, and they, they talk about we. Like, who, who's the we when we stepped away? No, you stepped away from Congress. You did. Your call, right? You stepped away from, anyway. Because we only elect one person to the seat. It's not like we're electing like a team of people. I understand that the person who's elected has a team, but we're electing that person. So anyway, uh, when he when we stepped away from Congress, it was in our hearts to run across North Carolina to be able to take what we've been able to do in central North Carolina and take it across the state for the U.S. Senate. Okay, um, and so he's been doing that. Like, I don't know how much I don't know how much you deliver on the, you know, you can make the state look like the district based on just, you know, constituent services or whatever. But the announcement comes despite an endorsement offered in early December by former President Donald Trump that if Walker left the race, the Senate uh, for Senate um, and would run in the House, then Trump would endorse him. We talked about this at the time with the meeting down in Mar-a-Lago, which would ensure that he does not split Bud's votes in the Republican primary and give the win to former Governor Pat McCrory. Right? So that's the the conventional wisdom is that Mark Walker and Ted Budd are competing for the same voters. Okay? And in the uh, Republican primary. And if they both uh, stay in and they go all the way to the primary, that that opens up this path sort of, uh, I don't want to say in the middle because it's not the middle, but it opens this path for Pat McCrory because he is seen as, again, this is the conventional wisdom. I have no idea if this is true or not. I'm just letting you know that this is what people are saying and thinking, that Pat McCrory has now a better shot to win because that same group of, uh, you know, MAGA, um, I don't even want to call them grassroots, but um, you got these different factions inside the party. And you're going to end up with uh, one faction being split, uh, and maybe even in multiple ways. That's possible, too. But I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of candidates. We talked to John Warren. I've, you know, uh, uh, 
I'm trying to remember. Eastman is her name. Is it Marjorie? I think she's also running. Uh, she was on this morning with Bo Thompson, I heard. Uh, I got an email from another guy. You know, There are a lot of people running. There's always, like, there are always a bunch of people running for uh, these offices that, like, when you walk into the voting booth and you, <laughs> you look at the list, you're like, I had no idea these people were running. So... There's always going to be a bunch of people, but generally it's perceived that this is a three-way race, okay? Uh, And by not getting out Mark Walker, the conventional wisdom is that it makes it harder for Bud to secure the victory. I don't know if that's true. I will tell you. Like, I don't know if that's true. It's quite possible that that could happen. Um, Mark Walker was running... So here's some of the background here. Ted Bud was a member of the... Uh, is a member, House Freedom Caucus. Mark Walker started uh, or was leader of another conservative caucus. And Walker and Meadows, Mark Meadows, formerly of the House Freedom Caucus, formerly, you know, Donald Trump's chief of staff, those two guys do not get along. They don't like each other. And I've known this for years. People, you know, people who know these these three men, they know, or four men, I guess, because Ted Budd, McCrory, uh, Walker, and Meadows, they know that they don't get along. And Meadows does not get along with uh, Walker. And it has to do, I think, with the, uh, not I think, I know, it has to do with the, the, the creation of this sort of competing caucus of who's the real conservative caucus in the House. Freedom Caucus or, uh, was it the Republican Study Committee, I think is what it was called, it is called, that, uh, that Walker was a part of. And it was bigger than the Freedom Caucus was. So... There was also a rumor that Walker and Bud had sort of agreed that they would, uh, that Walker would not run for re-election. Bud would run in the House and Walker would go over to the Senate race when uh, Richard Burr retired. And then Bud jumped in. And so there were hurt feelings over that. Don't know if it's true. These are the rumors. I'm just letting you know. News Talk 1110 and 993 WBT. Mark Walker not getting out of the Senate race, not going to take the deal that was offered to him by Pat, or, uh, uh, Donald Trump and Madison Cawthorn and the Club for Growth folks met, uh, that met with him um, down in Mar-a-Lago and said, hey, we'll totally endorse you for the 7th Congressional District if you just get out of the U.S. Senate race. Which, by the way, is pretty indicative of where they think... Uh, Walker is going to have an impact in the race, right? Why else would you try to get him out, right? If you're not worried about him impacting Ted Budd's campaign, then why would you make that deal? Why would you try to get him to do this other race rather than the Senate? Well, Mark Walker makes the announcement last night, as uh, News and Observer reports, despite this endorsement offered in early December. Um, Chris Cooper a political science professor at Western Carolina University, and uh, I will point out also a Winthrop University grad and a former fraternity brother of mine. Uh, It's obviously better for McCrory than Ted Budd, he said. I think Walker and Budd are competing for many of the same voters. Ideologically, they are virtually indistinguishable. Demographically, they are very similar. There's just not much daylight between the two of them except for Trump's endorsement. Trump took Walker by surprise in June when he announced his endorsement of Bud. Walker has consistently polled behind Ted Bud and Pat McCrory. Quote, oh, so this is Jonathan Feltz, senior advisor for Ted Bud's campaign. And he says, quote, it's a bad sign when a candidate 
has to re-announce that he's still an actual candidate after he's already spent $2 million and been campaigning for 14 months. But in the interest of saying something positive, it'll be fun to watch him and McCrory fight over second place. There you go. Um, They unveiled the bus. They had it covered with a big tarp. They unveiled the bus and it's, you know, Walker for Senate as part of the announcement. And... I don't know. Do, do, do the buses work? Do they work? I don't know. Trump's endorsement of Bud and millions of dollars spent by the group Club for Growth advertising that endorsement and then promoting him have lifted Ted Bund to become a front runner along with McCrory in polling results. I've seen polling on, you know, from both camps on this that favor either one of the guys. So I don't know. It looks right now like like a tie. So, yeah, if Mark Walker is going to take some votes from Bud, it could be the difference uh, for McCrory. Even political newcomer Marjorie Eastman is beginning to show strength encroaching on Walker's position in fundraising. Walker reported raising over half a million dollars uh, between January 1 and September 30th. He hasn't filed his most recent FEC report yet. Um, that's due on Monday. But Eastman said she would report raising more than $400,000 in the last quarter of the year. So, um, are we seeing sort of this separation now? You're going to have, you know, the top two uh, votainers, uh, and then you're going to have all of the other candidates. And and is Walker going to be down in that second tier, or is he go? Is there or maybe there's a mid tier? I don't know. Um, I don't know. But you got to have what thirty percent in order to avoid the runoff. And that's how Madison Cawthorn ended up getting into office, right? He he finished second. And the top votainer, Linda Bennett, was not able to secure enough votes to avoid that runoff. And when it went to the runoff, she lost. Something similar could happen here in the Senate race. Who knows? He had put off, Walker had put off announcing a decision for several weeks after visiting with Trump last month in Florida. Walker's campaign said he was offered Trump's endorsement if he ran for a House seat in Central North Carolina in District 7, although... Who knows what's going to happen with all of that and the maps that are being litigated, uh, which, by the way, uh, oral arguments for uh, for that lawsuit begin Monday. So that'll be fun. Yeah, next week. Monday? Is it Monday? Or no, maybe it's the third. I've got it written down someplace over there on the wall. Anyway, um, at a rally at an auto, but it is next week. I guarantee you it is next week at a rally at an auto auction facility in Greensboro. Attendees listened to singers and speakers for about an hour before Walker's wife, Kelly, came on the stage, made a tearful introduction, recalling moments in their relationship. And before she walked off the stage, uh, the tarp was pulled off of the red, white and blue bus that was up on the stage um, saying Walker, U.S. Senate. And uh, the people's choice. He told reporters um, that he remained confident that he could win the Senate primary currently set for May 17th. Uh, By the way, some new development on that. As expected, Governor Cooper just moments ago vetoed the Republican backed bill that would have moved the primary to June 7th. Uh, Okay, yes. Supreme Court hearing on the new district maps is coming up on Wednesday. Okay, so Wednesday would be. I think that is the third is it the third i don't know i don't see all right so I, full disclosure like we're the third is thursday so we're we're in the middle of packing everything up here to be on our way uh to move into our uh house 
that is uh, finished and ready for us to move into. So, like, I apologize. Like, everything is <laughs> looks like a cyclone blew through here. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't have all of my papers in their normal spots and everything else. So, uh, I apologize for that. Anyway, the primary elections already have been delayed. Uh, from March 8th into mid-May, and it's possible they could be delayed further. But get this. Cooper made this statement when he vetoed House Bill 605, which would have pushed it into June. He says, quote, This bill is an additional attempt by Republican legislators to control the election timeline and undermine the voting process. How is it undermining the voting process to give people more time in the primary? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, Either Roy Cooper thinks you're stupid or he is, okay? And considering he's got an entire team of people, the chances that they're all stupid is kind of like, it's not great. There's probably at least one person in that room that's like, uh, guys, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. But maybe they don't have any decision-making authority. I don't know. But it seems to me like he just thinks we're stupid. And uh, I saw this the other day. There was a um, there was a write-up. I forget who did it, but there was a write-up about how... Uh, Aaron Sorkin, the guy who did The West Wing and Newsroom, those TV shows, how he has completely broken uh, the Democrats' ability to debate because of the way he wrote all of those shows. And Democrats love those shows because Sorkin's a liberal. And so, you know, he would write these shows and it would all, you know, confirm everything and validate everything they believe. But they never made arguments. He would just kind of all of his characters would, quote, win the debates by simply Uh, calling their opponents names and saying that they're worthy of shame, and that was enough. There would be some music that would then come up, much like you hear right now, and then they would go to commercial, and the Democratic uh, you know, uh, lawmaker or president would have won the debate, but not actually convince anybody. So this is why we see what we see right now. This is how the debates occur. It's just, I'm going to make a statement that says, you guys are undermining the voting process. Cue the music, go to break. Coming up after 1 o'clock... We're going to talk with the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. Guy's been raising a ton of money. Um, we'll chat with him about, uh, well, about School Choice Week. Happy School Choice Week, by the way. Uh, I do have an update also on that story on the Governor's proclamation where he recognized School Choice Week for the first time, and people were like, what is that? This guy's been opposed to vouchers from the beginning. Never run a budget that had them in there he's always trying to get rid of the vouchers in north carolina and yeah i I still don't have any clarity on why he issued the proclamation it's either it's looking almost like um a mistake like somebody in his office messed up or something i don't know uh but i do have an update on that we'll get to um also pat mccrory gets targeted by cnn over that duke appointment uh or the not appointment but a a gig at duke university right remember after he lost the election to cooper and um he he uh went up there to talk to duke university about you know teaching some class doing like a guest lecturer gig or something like that and then uh leftists lost their minds and well i i know it more they lost their minds more and then and there and then duke pulled the offer so yeah that story cnn did a story on that uh pretty disingenuous way to cover it as well but we'll cover that too but mark walker uh fourth quarter earnings uh, or uh, filings rather are due early next week 
and uh, we'll see how he's doing on the money. Now, Bud, Ted Bud, has struggled to surpass McCrory in recent surveys, despite having the support of Trump and the Club for Growth, whose super PAC has dumped millions of dollars into the race to support him. This is according to reporting at TheHill.com. Pressure built on Walker to drop out amid attempts to help clear the right-wing lane for Ted Bud in his fight against the former governor. Bud's camp swiped at Walker right after the announcement saying, oh, you know, it's a bad sign. I read you the quote earlier that a bad sign that uh, he has to reannounce that he's still an actual candidate after he's already spent two million dollars and been campaigning for 14 months, yet has nothing to show for it. As I mentioned earlier, the rumor was that uh, Bud and um, and Walker uh, that these guys got along and uh, used to at least apparently when they were colleagues and uh, in the House and then when they uh, they got sued over the state got sued over the redistricting maps and all of this and they had to redraw the maps and uh, Walker essentially bowed out and said I won't run again for re-election with uh, in the intent instead to go run for U.S. Senate and there was this deal. This was the the rumor that's around Raleigh. I have no idea if this is true, but this was the rumor that there was a deal cut, and then Bud ran uh, announced he was running for U.S. Senate as well. And look, it's a pretty. I mean, things change. I get it, you know. But also, it's a it's a a pretty appealing prospect to try to run for a Senate seat in this environment if you are a Republican, because you know. All the indications are Republicans are going to do very, very well in this election. I don't know if the, if it's going to actually play out that way, but that's what all of the, quote, experts seem to uh, predict. So if you're going to make the move, you're going to make a jump, you're going to try and do that. And let's say you have an inside track to get an endorsement from President Trump via Mark Meadows. It kind of makes sense to do that, right? Um, let me see here. There was one other quote. Do, 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 do. It came from uh, Dan Keelan. Well, I don't know where it went. I had it, and I guess I... Oh, I must have deleted it. Oh, I apologize. Dan Keelan, who uh, is Tom Tillis's... Uh, one of Tom Tillis's guys. Um, yeah, he had he, he took a shot at, um, at Mark Walker as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. In the grand scheme of things, does Walker's uh, does Walker's announcement help him a little bit? Maybe he had a whole bunch of people there, um, but on the other hand, I don't know. I, I I don't see a lot of people that were you know. Well, I'm not really sure who I'm going to go for. Yeah, all right, I like that Mark Walker guy. You know, like I don't know. He, he seemed to have his work cut out for him, and staying in the race makes that more difficult. But also, jumping out and trying to run for that congressional seat, he doesn't live in that district either. So that's a problem, too. <laughs> so, uh, I, mean, I know they pitched this idea, but I think, well, who's who's running in that the seventh? I want to say, is that, uh, is that Bo Hines? I believe that's Bo Hines. And he already picked up the endorsement for Madison Cawthorn. So, you know, maybe... You know, maybe Walker's looking at all that and saying, you know what, I don't really like the way this is shaping up. This doesn't look this doesn't look very good. Um, speaking of the elections, by the way, COVID related school chaos. It's a problem for Democrats. This was a piece at the New York Times uh, and uh, talking about Christopher Rufo, the architect of the right wing crusade against critical race theory. 
and um, he had sent this reporter, Michelle Goldberg, a message asking if she wanted to talk. I suppose, she says, because I was one of the first people to write about his project way back in February last year, he was feeling triumphant. And a year ago, few conservatives outside of academia had heard of critical race theory, a graduate school approach to the study of race and power. Now it's become a central issue in Republican politics. It helped fuel the the Youngkin campaign in Virginia. And Rufo said, I've unlocked a new terrain in the culture war and demonstrated a successful strategy. By the way, this is one of the things that the left really hates about Rufo. Not only is that he's successful, but uh, in, in this fight against them, but that he is also a self-promoter. And so that it really gets under their skin. That he promotes the fact that he is successful against them. And so, the COVID-related school chaos is a problem for Democrats. And uh, they can't just run away from it because they're already on record too often as being for it. Parents know this. The Yunkin model. One of the people that have been sort of at the forefront of all of that in North Carolina, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, and he'll join us after the news. Stick around.